Hey everyone, I'm Brian, and I absolutely love listening to Positive Bright Minds. One of the things I really like about this podcast is that it's about real people with real stories. Not just those who have big followings. I like the mix of monologues and interview-style episodes, and yeah, it's just easy, inspiring listening. There are coaches, authors, comedians, and all kinds of engaging people on here sharing helpful and useful stuff about life. This podcast is supported by Our Solutions, a UK-based mental health charity that provide a range of services. If you're looking for an audio engineer, check out audiocrisp.com. Aside from the fact the Earth will still need to feed a couple of more billions of mouths in 50 years, and even more billions by the turn of the century, what will we be eating? What will our food come from? Where will it come from? And what scientific reforms will revolutionize our eating habits? These are all really, really important questions to be answered. We can only second guess at this stage and use information that we currently have based on data. Whilst global demand for beef, chicken and pork continues to rise, so do concerns about environmental and resource costs associated with the production. The production of meat has doubled in the past 30 years and by 2050 global meat consumption is projected to reach a staggering 500 to 600 million tonnes. However, meat consumption around the world varies massively from one country to another. According to the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, the average Ethiopian would consume 7% meat, 10 times less than the average European. The stats also show that the US, Brazil and Canada are the highest consumers of meat. India and Kenya are at the bottom end of that list. So let's talk about population. Well, we all know population is going to increase, but by how much? Well, let's look at the past. Many grandparents or great-grandparents would have seen the number of people in the world more than treble over their lifetime. If they were born in 1937, for example, there were 2.2 billion people in the world in that time. Now, into the 80s or 90s, there are around 7.7 billion. Those parents born during the baby boomer period in the mid-60s have already seen the population more than double. However, Interestingly, this trend is unlikely to continue, and when I was teaching economics some years ago, I would spring these figures onto my students and often catch them out on their overly inflated forecasts of future population numbers, especially when I would suggest that the rate of growth is slowing down, believe it or not. Yes, the population is growing and it will continue to do so, but growth has declined from 2.2% 50 years ago to 1% and may continue to keep declining like it has been if people around the world continue to have fewer children. And that is where the trend is going at present. The UN's projections actually show that very small changes in the size of families across the globe make an enormous difference between a population of 7 billion and an unthinkable 16 billion by the end of the century. There are many reasons for why meat consumption will be problematic as population increases. Meat is very inefficient food source. From an economic perspective, it requires more energy, water, land and natural resources to produce it than any other food source. 
Meat production is also a large source of greenhouse gas emissions and thereby plays a major role in climate change. Meat has a much higher energy footprint than any other food. It takes 75 times more energy to produce meat than corn and it takes an area seven times more than the UK to produce food for cattle. Because meat production is so demanding in terms of resources, it also affects biodiversity and contributes to the extinction of species. A report from the WWF found that 60% of global biodiversity loss is caused by meat-based diets. The data on this topic are quite stark, depressing and thought-provoking. But it doesn't need to be all gloom and doom. If trends towards food and eating habits continue to change towards less meat consumption and more mindful eating as they have been due to increased levels of obesity, heart conditions and diabetes, then we may see people adopting very different ways of eating. So let's look at the different options for the future. There is option number one, and that is meat production survives and remains sustainable by everyone consuming it in much smaller proportions than they presently do. However, with there being inequality of income and wealth across the globe, it will only be the rich who will be able to afford and consume more of it, leaving the rest of the population, the mass, vast majority of the population, not being able to access good quality, decent meat. Option number two, more people may choose to be pescatarians. But again, the issue remains the same as they do with meat. The oceans can only supply a certain amount of fish to feed limited mouths. And with the oceans continuing to become more polluted with microplastics and chemical waste, who knows what the quality of our seafood will be in years to come. It might not be as edible as it is now. So option number three is veganism. And although the plant-based market has been explosive, potentially driven by fads and education, veganism is probably way too extreme for most of the world's population to follow. And some evidence suggests that it is difficult to reap all the nutritional goodness from a solely vegan diet with it needing some supplementation from additional vitamins and minerals. So moving on to option four, vegetarianism. Again, a diet that may not satisfy the protein-hungry palates of much of the world's population. However, evidence shows it is absolutely nutritionally possible and a country such as India has managed to give birth and rise to a population of billions over the centuries on vegetarian diet. But again, it may not tick the box for those that require and demand a more protein-based diet. So the final option could be adapting to eating insects and that is also the world eating insects has been customary and part of life for thousands of years and traveling around australia and southeast asia whilst i was traveling to the country known as down under australia i was seeking to enhance my knowledge of the local aboriginal culture which i and other travelers had noticed was virtually non-existent in most parts of australia other than the northern territory and parts of the west the things that has always fascinated me is food nutrition linked to health and medicine so i snapped up the opportunity to go on a bush tucker tour whereby i learned about ancient 
ancient food, used as medicine, and at times potent methods of healing by these amazing native tribes using, you know, things like bark, leaves, stems, twigs, berries, all kinds of things from the forest. On this bush tucker, we sampled insects and not just ordinary insects, but bright green ants that tasted of zesty lemon. I still recall this really fizzy sherbet tasting sensation on my tongue and it was something that I won't forget because it was just weird but I wanted to be brave and give it a go like all the other people on this tour. Aboriginal people ate the white larvae found inside the leafy nests ants and larvae were also pounded and mixed with water to produce a lime flavoured drink to relieve colds, headaches and sore throats. Like an alternative I guess to Lemsip. Further through my travels I recall the amazing hustle and bustle of small portable street food stores selling all sorts and there I witnessed an array of fried insects being sold but I was not brave enough to have sampled any of them. Grasshoppers, crickets and even scorpions are consumed in some parts of Southeast Asia. So it is likely that as a way to sustain the human population food needs and continue to thrive, more countries will turn to and adopt insects in their culinary habits. Mexico, China, Japan and even the Netherlands are some of the countries where insects are consumed as part of a diet. But you know what? We may squirm a little bit but the irony of it all is that you already, we already in fact, are all consuming insects in a very unconscious way. So FDA's defect level handbook, you can see how many bugs we are all consuming on an everyday basis. Take beer for example, the acceptable limit of insect infestation in hops is 2,500 aphids per 10 grams. Canned fruit juices are allowed up to one maggot per 250 ml. Curry powder is allowed up to 100 insect fragments, head, body, legs per 25 grams and chopped dates are allowed up to 10 whole dead insects. The lists just go on and on. Is this churning your stomach? <laughs> it should be because you've been eating them for years and it hasn't bothered you at all. <laughs> Sorry to just, you know, mention that. They might not look like much, but insects actually have high fat, protein, vitamin, fiber, and mineral content that is often comparable to fish or livestock. House crickets contain an average of 205 grams of protein compared to beef, which is 256 grams of protein. Termites are very, very rich. Um, and in Venezuela, it was found that 64% of these termites had protein in them. Some insects are even as much as 80% protein by weight. Insects are also rich in amino acids, omega-3 fatty acids and iron. So apparently locusts contain up to 20 mg of iron per 100 grams, whilst beef only contains 6 mg per 100 gram. So maybe there's a reason to start eating insects in a more conscious way. <laughs> 
consuming insects as opposed to other animals is considered to be more environmentally friendly. Insects are cold-blooded and therefore require less energy to maintain their internal body temperatures. Even though insects could potentially save our planet, its success really depends on whether the larger players will to make the necessary investments for mass production, whether they would risk the necessary research and development of making it palatable, buy into it. If it is possible to remove the stigma attached to eating a little insect, not so far off from the status of a rodent perhaps. Having said that, the French eat snails, which of course isn't a rodent, but not so far off in status to that of an insect. You just never know, we just never know what is possible. With the right sort of packaging, flavoring and enhancers, a crisp-like texture, even a humble grass-feeding insect could break into the million-dollar food market in a nice glossy packet with the right sort of branding of course. We don't really know what the future face of our feeding habits look like, we can only speculate and with the current trends my speculation would be a future that continues to factor in the negative environmental and resource pressures that mass produced meat places which makes us seek alternative yet nutritionally rich options not to mention the economic cost of producing perhaps not necessarily insects but the next best alternative.